don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. It can be tempting to hire great people and tell them what to do, but that's not really helpful, right? You want to hire amazing people who tell you what to do. We spoke to Carlo Frem, who is the EU Head of Social Media and Editorial Content for Amazon Prime Video, whose clever social content and deep understanding of the different platforms frequently put them in the top 10 of our monthly social media leaderboard. Yes, there are all sorts of considerations that go into crafting a successful team, but adding the nuances of social and the fact that the goalposts are always changing, there becomes a bigger challenge. Fortunately, Carlo is an expert and spoke to us about trying 10 things and not being afraid when eight of them fail, why breaking through red tape is a long but worthy process, and how to answer that classic interview question, what's been the biggest mistake you've ever made? I had to sit down and hear about why my idea <laughs> was actually not great and or it wasn't being executed in the way that I had intended. All this and more coming up. What does it take to build a social media team as successful as Amazon Prime Video? Tricky question to answer. Um, hey, I think the first thing I'll say is it's still very much day one for us as a team. So I'm really honored that you uh, you say we're successful. But honestly, I think we still have lots to learn. And it's it's really early days. Uh, but right now, what I do know and, and the way I, I try to think about it in terms of building a team specifically for social. So the first component of any team, right, Theo, is people. <laughs> people, people, people. So really making sure that you find the right people. Um, and, and, and what does that mean? Like finding the right people, you want to make sure that you find people that are cultural fit within your team, but also that bring in a lot of diverse perspectives and backgrounds, right? So, um, when I'm thinking about how to, how to compile people, uh, you know, into my team and, you know, how to, how to create a team that's, that's really strong and, and diverse, I'm thinking a lot about, you know, what is, what are the range of experiences we have on the team, right? So from the industries they're working with to their life experiences to to their educational experiences like you want to try to bring as much variety as possible so that you really build a team that's representative of, of your customers right like di- customers are so diverse um, and so you want to make sure that you have people in your team that can speak to those various experiences so that's definitely the first ingredient of, of building a strong team the second ingredient i think to building a good team is uh is giving the team purpose right so um and what does purpose mean so there's a there's a great speaker called uh speaker author called simon sinek who talks a lot about purpose and and finding your why and and i love his way of thinking uh and you know he talks a lot about this that you know in order to to lead with um with vision and inspiration you need to make sure that you give people purpose and purpose is not a business goal or objective or profit like it's higher than that it's higher level uh and it's it's more like you know what gets you out of bed every day and really inspires you to go in and do some great work and so you know it could be as simple as you know and within the context of the industry that we're in and prime video obviously we're we're storytellers we tell stories uh, and so, you know, it's, it could be as simple as, you know, we find and, and spotlight amazing stories that inspire customers or that celebrate certain types of rebels or underdogs in the world or, you know, whatever that purpose is. Like, I think you really need to craft that for your team and be able to give them that 
thing that really gets them out of bed in the morning. Um, the third thing that's really important, uh, you know, you've got your people, you've got your purpose. What's next? Uh, we have to empower people in your team, right? So um, giving them power. And, and what does that mean? <laughs> How do you give people power? Um, you, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, or, you know, so, sometimes it can be tempting to hire great people and tell them what to do, but that's not really helpful, right? You want to hire amazing people who tell you what to do. <laughs> like I'm always trying to hire people who can teach me something and who, who, who help me find out something that, that, um, you know, I didn't know before, help me think of something in a way that I had never considered before. Like, that's what I'm always looking for when I'm trying to interview and bring people. So, you know, you want to bring these people in and you want them to tell you what to do. And so you want to empower them to be able to do that. And uh, it's easier said than done. <laughs> like, it's really hard to empower people. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, from early on, when when we're in schools, we're in colleges, like, we get told what to do a lot, right? <laughs> like you get told that you have to study and you have to do this and there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And then all of a sudden, if you come in and join a team like ours and I say, great, like go ahead and do your thing. You know, a lot, a lot of people say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I need you to tell me what to do. Um, you're my leader. And so, and then I'll always say, look, I'll tell you what's important to the business and I'll give you a purpose and, um, and, you know, I'll, I'll help you along the way, but I need you to, to go ahead and, and figure out what you want to do to make impact here. Um, and so really like that, that's really, that's something I spend a lot of time thinking about, like, how do I continue to empower the people in my team? Um, how do I encourage them to take risks, right? Like a part of empowering means you need to be able to take risks and, and know that there will be failure along the way and, and normalize that failure and have it be okay. Um, like I, sometimes, you know, people come in and they say, oh, okay, you know, you empower me, you want me to do all these things, but what happens if I get it wrong? And I say to them, so, so what? As long as you learn, as long as you learn and you take that learning and you implement it going forward, that's okay. That was a failure worth doing. Um, you know, I, I say to, the, to my team all the time, out of the 10 things I do, <laughs> I try to do, eight things blow up in my face really aggressively. <laughs> and two things work out. And the two things that work out are often a result of some of the learnings that I've compiled along the way. And so, you know, you have to be ready to make sure that, yes, you empower your team, but you get them used to falling down a lot and, and you equip them for that so that when they do fall, they're able to pick themselves back up and, and keep going. And that, and that leads me to uh, a little bit into the other point, right? Like the other ingredient of a really great team is perseverance, right? Like it takes a very long time to build a good team. You know, it, it's, um, it's not something that happens overnight. And I think nowadays in a culture where everything is given to you quick, right? Like your Amazon next day delivery or your delivery or, you know, people want things quick. People want results, results quickly. And, you know, there are definitely ways to bring people in and have short-term wins. But in order to build a really long-lasting, future-proof team, it, it takes a very long time and a lot of patience. And again, that's something I try to uh, say to a lot of people in my team, just be, be patient and have some grit because it's going to take time. Uh, a lot of young people really struggle with this. I'm sure some of the young people in the room will relate, right? Like a lot of young people are very impatient. And so this is very counterintuitive for a few of them. Uh, but perseverance is, is really important. And then, and the very last point, I think, to, to having a great team is making sure that they have real passion, um, right? Like we, <laughs> you know, we have such a great job, 
like I, it's it's funny my I, my parents still don't understand what I do. I don't know how many of you get this, but <laughs> I try I very much have tried to explain my parents like lots of different times what I do and they just don't get it. The one thing I've recently found out, I've recently cracked it. Uh, and I've I've said to them, "You know what? I tell short stories about stories. That's what I do." And they said, oh, now I get it. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, they understood what I, what I was doing. And so, you know, what we do inherently, just generally marketing is, is good marketing is storytelling. But when you're doing marketing about stories, you have to be even more rigorous and, and you, have, you have an even higher sort of standard that you need to bear, right? So uh, you really need to make sure that the people on your team are passionate about stories and storytelling and the power of stories. Um, stories are wonderful. They're so human. And like we've been hardwired for stories since the beginning of time. Um, Neil, you know, Neil Gaiman, obviously the, this amazing British author who's, who's uh, you know, created incredible worlds like uh, Good Omens and American Gods. So he, he has a quote about stories that I really love. And uh, he, he basically says, you know, stories may be lies, uh, but good lies that tell the truth and that sometimes pay the rent. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's, which is always a bonus, right? Uh, but that's, that's such a great way of thinking about stories, right? Like the reason why people love entertainment and stories is, is precisely what Neil says. It tells you the truth about the world in, in a way that's easy for you to digest. And you see your stories reflected within different characters and, and it helps it helps make the world a more empathetic place. And when it comes to hires, like that, yeah, that yeah. Uh, ability to tell stories, from your experience, is that quite innate within everybody? You know, you can obviously learn to tell a better story, but you sort of think that, you know, there's, there's no need to worry so much about the technical side of things just yet because everybody has that kind of innate ability to empathize and to tell a story in such a way. So yeah, that's, it's a really good question. Look, I think we are all naturally hardwired to appreciate stories and like stories. Like a lot of people can tell you what's a good story and what's not a good story. Not a lot of people can tell you why a story is good or why a story isn't good. So I do think I do think that you know we all have a little bit of a natural ability, but we everybody needs to practice storytelling. Um, you know, it, it comes a little bit more naturally to some people than it does others. Um, but, you know, to me, I think, you know, if, if you're the kind of person who, who can go into a room and, uh, you know, tell a story that's really interesting, you know, whether it's at the pub with your friends or whether it's, um, at a fancy dinner party where, you know, you may have to adjust the way that you pack it, you know, you package that story in a slightly different way. If you're attuned to those nuances, if that kind of naturally comes to you and, you know, maybe people walk away from hearing your stories and they say, oh, wow, you know, that's so me, or I can really relate to that, or, oh, that really moved me, or, oh, wow, you really taught me something, then you probably got a really strong base. Like, that's a really good sign. Uh, but then you got to practice. Yeah, go ahead, Eve. I mean, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your guys' social channels and your content, do you want to explain a little bit about what your team does, what kind of stuff you put out? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, in, in a very simplistic term, we, we tell short stories about stories. That's what we do. <laughs> we try Now, we package it differently for every platform because, um, you know, customers experience platforms differently and customers come onto platforms for different reasons, right? Like, you may come onto TikTok because you need something really joyful that cheers you up, uh, right? Like, TikTok is basically America's funniest home videos from back in the day, but just like a new age form of it, right? Versus Twitter, where 
maybe you're looking for some news. So again, I, I think, you know, we tell short stories about stories, but we need to be really smart about how we adapt it and how we, you know, how we make sure that we match the psychology of the customer that may be coming onto that platform. Um, but, you know, it, the, the three simple goals that I give my, uh, I give my team, you know, use our tools to one, help customers choose what to watch, right? I, uh, I'm sure you all feel this, but there is a lot of content out there, right? From YouTube to shows and movies on all kinds of platforms and TV channels. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And so I say to my team, really think about making it a bit easier for customers to, uh, you know, come back home, press play, uh, on their TV and just, you know, rather than spending 45 minutes arguing with their partner over what to watch next, like you make it really easy for them. You save them time. Like if you can do that well, like, great, that's goal number one, help customers choose, eliminate that friction. Um, the second goal that I give my team on, on social is connect and hype fans, right? So social is such a great tool to connect people from across different countries, across different cultures. You know, people find their tribes across lots of different boundaries on social. And it's so good for that. And so I say to the team, you know, we, we cannot make up fans. We cannot conjure fans from thin air, but we can create tools on social to give those fans things that get them excited and get them want to talk more about things that they love. So, um, you know, really, really thinking about how we build out immersive worlds of the shows that get those fans excited. And, uh, and again, like the third very simple goal I, I, I say to the team is, you know, make sure when everything we do, we're sharing a passion for stories. Like, it, like we all love stories. We're passionate about stories. Make sure that that passion translates because that's what's going to get customers to really, um, to really resonate, right? Like people, people appreciate passion. And so I want to make sure that, um, we think we think a lot about how that passion translates into the world. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And you made a really good point there about the psychology of every different platform. And I'm just interested to know when you're putting your team together and Theo talked about, you know, what skills you look for in new hires. Is that something you guys consider is being able to understand how all these different platforms work? Because it's something we touch on quite a lot. And I think people know at this point, you know, they have to be considerate of every platform differently. But the way you just phrased it is that psychology. And that is something I do think you guys do really well, especially what you put out on TikTok versus what you put out on Twitter. I think you communicate to that specific audience really well. So is that something that you go over with your team or something that you you train or look to hire, you know, existing skills? Yeah, so... I think the way I think about it is, you know, you, you always want to future proof your team, right? Um, the tricky thing with social is that trends come and go very, very quickly. <laughs> so it's, I, I think the, the best way to think about it, like just remember that at the other end of that screen is a human being. And the one thing that remains constant across all these social fads and trends and platforms that come and go is just, it's, it's a human being. They're just doing different things on the platforms, depending on what they're looking for. But, you know, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of people go on TikTok, usually for comic relief and for joy and for user generated content. And, you know, it's, so if, if you can, if, if you hire people who have really good um, customer obsession, right? Like we talk a lot about customer obsession at Amazon, like customer obsession requires a lot of empathy, right? You need to be able to put yourself in customer's shoes 
And so I expect, you know, while I don't expect everyone on my team to be experts at every platform and, you know, I don't, I don't need to hire people who have 5 million followers on TikTok. I just need to make sure that they put themselves often enough in customers' shoes and they observe and they understand what good looks like. Um, so that's really important. And so I think if you hire for people who are really obsessed with customers um, and people who have really good empathy and people who can who can learn what good looks like in a very flexible manner, then you've built yourself a very future-proof team that can adapt no matter how the industry shakes up mm. or evolves. And as well, uh, Carla, there are a lot of brands for whom social media, they've not taken it so seriously in the past. It's often a sort of add-on that's left to a few people within the team or an intern or someone. But we, we clearly know that it's so crucial now, especially, you know, after the events of this year in many ways, where a lot of conversation has gone to social. And you mentioned future proofing as well. What kind of roles do you see as being crucial in the future outside of the traditional ones we have now, so outside of community management and stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> so... I think I'll start off by saying social is really, really hard. <laughs> like it's unlike anything we have really dealt with before. Uh, and you know why? And I, if you know it, it feels really obvious, but I feel like, I feel like um, people don't really think about this enough, but you know, on social, think about it. You are self-selecting to be in a space that is filled with the things that people love most. <laughs> right. So like, imagine like, Everything that you follow on your social account are the things that are most dear to you, right? From the people that you love to things that you genuinely love. So it's like a curated digital real estate where you've just got you've just got all these things that delight you. And that's what you're that's what you're trying to be in, right? And so that requires a whole different approach, right? I think you know, back in the day when traditional marketing was evolving, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, uh, you know, most people would be walking down the street. Um, you know, most people would would have few distractions when they were walking around the streets and they might see a billboard and they might see a print ad and they had more attention um, to give to those to those things. Right now, you're walking down the street. I don't know about you guys, I'll take my phone out and I'll be listening to a podcast and I'm not looking around pro properly. I may be at a bus stop. I'm not looking at the advertisements around the bus stop. I'm looking at my phone and probably pictures of my dog or <laughs> what my <laughs> friends have been up to. And so, you know, you've got something in your pocket at all times that is distracting you with things that you really love. And so, and so, you know, I, I don't, I don't think a lot of people have really understood that yet. And so, um, you know, it's something I, I try to speak to, to my team a lot about, like, remember that, uh, you know, we're in this context. And so we need to make sure that everything we're doing is, is really delightful. And, and, and we, ha we have to have a high bar because there are lots of things out there, um, you know, that, that are better than what we do. <laughs> right. So, um, so that's one, I think, I think, I think, I think everyone, um, you know, I, I think social has been underestimated as a function for a very long time. And it's really important for people to understand those nuances. Um, and look, I think, honestly, you know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, what kind of, what kind of roles, what kind of structures are ideal for social? I've, 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 I've researched that a lot myself when trying to building the team. Um, I think like any team, like there, there is no perfect structure or role ever, right? You, you cannot like, I think the, the biggest tip I would, I would give to people, or at least the way I think about it is just make sure that you're able to quickly break and move things as you need. 
Um, you know, your priorities as a business will change depending on what year you're in. And, you know, if you're a new business and you're in high growth, or if you're more established and you're trying to optimize, like your goals will change. And so your structures need to change accordingly. And so I would say like, you know, think about your three biggest priorities for the year and, and structure and find, a, you know, make sure you put people in, in, in areas that, uh, that reflect the biggest challenges and opportunities for, for your team. Um, you know, good strategy requires designing and redesigning your team again and again and again around the biggest challenges and opportunities. Uh, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It just means that you're adapting. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's how I think about it. I think it's a good point. And I think as well with the companies we've spoken to, many social teams seem to be made up differently anyway. So it makes sense that you'd adapt them to sort of fit your needs. I wanted to ask you a little bit about diversity and specifically cognitive diversity, which is something you have talked about as to before. And, you know, the importance of it in our industry. So what do you think is the most important thing about making sure your team is as diverse as possible? Yeah. So cognitive diversity is a, is a term that's been been pioneered by this um, researcher author called Matthew Syed. He's got a great book about it called Rebel Ideas. Uh, if you need a good read, I strongly recommend it to everybody. Uh, and so I will just try to give you a little bit of a summary of, of what he talks about in the book. Um, so, you know, he was really interested in trying to figure out, like, how do you build amazing teams that can solve really difficult problems? And, um, you know, he, st- he starts off with the, with the, you know, sobering premise that human beings are biased. Uh, you know, I'm sure we're all very familiar about this, uh, familiar with these topics. But, you know, we, we tend to like people who are like us. And he, he, you know, he coins this or he refers to this as homophily, right? So birds of a feather flock together, essentially. Um, you know, we surround ourselves with people who are like us and, and this creates echo chambers. And so, you know, the point he tries to make is if you have a hundred people in the room who are going to tackle a problem in the same way, because they've been brought up to view the world in the same way, and they've experienced the world in the same way, and they've been educated the same way, that's not really efficient or productive. Um, because everyone inevitably has the same, what he calls collective blindness, so, you know, that you're, you're all blind to the same exact things. And so that's not really a great way to, to, to create a, an, an, an innovative team, at least. And so, you know, his solution is, you know, we need to figure out, we need to talk more about group wisdom. So making sure that we view um, the collective wisdom and experiences of a group as ones that are, uh, you know, together trying to overcome a challenge. So, you know, if you've got people in the room who who come from different industries and age ranges and backgrounds and upbringings, like you are getting a hundred more different lenses to tackle a problem than you would otherwise. And that is so powerful if it's honed in the right way. Um, Obviously, you need to make sure that you have the right conditions for that to thrive. <laughs> um, sometimes, uh, you know, you can get a lot of people with diverse experiences and, and, and backgrounds in a room. But if you don't have the right conditions and if people don't feel um, almost the psychological safety to be able to speak up and, and talk and bring in their perspectives, then you haven't you haven't really solved anything. Oh, definitely. I mean, Carla, when you're hiring, do you have a method for establishing these experiences that people can bring to the table? I mean, it's such a tricky thing. Like, how do you ensure that you are hiring 
diverse people with different experiences, backgrounds, thoughts, you know, without explicitly asking them which neighborhood they grew up in? The, the way I th- the way I think about it is um, so so typically the way the way we interview at Amazon is you know we interview people based on uh, like competency based questions, right? Um, we we know that interviews and interview processes um, inherently can have uh, or can be prone to a lot of bias because we're human beings. Uh, and so really the, the way we design our interview process is to try and eliminate bias as much as possible by making sure that any candidate is interviewed by lots of different types of people from different parts of the business and that we try and be as factual as possible by asking them about experiences that um, you know they've been through in the past. So you know, for ex- for as an example, I uh, you know I'm, I I say that we're you know we always look for a customer obsession in anyone I hire, right? So you know, one question I like to ask that tells me a lot about that person's um, you know ability to empathize and and how they interpret the world is you know tell me about a time you were able to see around a corner to delight a customer um, by you know bringing them something that perhaps they didn't know they needed. That, that's a that's a question I love to ask people, and that like the way you answer a question like that can really tell us a lot about you know how you think of things and how you innovate and who is a customer to you and and what pain points perhaps uh, that only you ha- have been able to identify for a customer that nobody else has been able to. So I do think that if you try to make your interviews as um, you know as as objective as as humanly possible and and you really boil it down to you know trying to look for specific behaviors uh, through past experiences that you can try to. You can try to you can try to find that and and you can consider that that's at least that's how I try to do it um, and then you know I do I, I I'm you know when I'm interviewing someone I'm making sure that they're a cultural fit through our competency based questions and I'm making sure that they are exhibiting the behaviors that we would want them to um, you know to fit and shine in the Amazon culture but but then I do take a step back and think okay. Um, of the people that I have currently on the team, right? Like what new ways of thinking is this person going to bring in? Do I have another person in the team who's very similar to this person? Um, if so, you know, it, 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 it's probably better for me to try to find someone very different. That's it, isn't it? You want them to fit in with the culture, but you don't want to keep matching, 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 because then you end up with a lot of the same. Exactly. And it's not easy to do well, by the way. It's very hard because like, I am human. Like I, I do have some inherent biases. So yeah. Yeah. I think as long as you try, as long as you're self-aware as much as you can and you talk about these things a lot and, you know, you try to make sure that when you're interviewing people, you bring in lots of different types of interviewers as well. So you get a really objective view of of the, of the candidate. I think that's really important. And we've touched on it already a bit, Carlo, but in terms of uh, the sort of people that you bring in, is the argument more for specializing in an area of social or can you be a kind of all-rounder, kind of jack-of-all-trades type person? It, I, think, I think it really depends on the role. And I think Look, I think if you want to build a, a cognitively diverse team, I'd say that you probably want a, a mix of both, right? Like I, I, I want some specialists and I want some generalists. Um, so I, I think having a mix is is really good. And um, and again, you know, you you want to make sure that you know, even if you are hiring a specialist, you always want to be asking yourself. Does this person have some core skills that make sure that this person is going to be successful in the long run in in the company, right? Like when I'm 
you know, we're all, at Amazon, we're, we're encouraged to hire beyond the role, right? Like we have to ask ourselves, is this person going to succeed long-term at Amazon? And are they going to move into other teams and thrive equally well? And, you know, are they going to be able to shine? So um, I, I do think it's, it's really important to make sure that you, you bring in people that have a lot of long-term potential and, and flexibility. I mean, let's, let's move on then to company culture and company values, which is something that a lot of technology companies, especially in like new age companies are really focusing on at the moment. How do you ensure that your company values aren't just words on a wall? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So I, um, I spend an inordinate amount of time talking about culture with my team. Uh, and a lot of my team are new at Amazon. And so I think it's really important for them to, to, you know, to talk about our culture a lot. Like Amazon does have a very peculiar culture. Um, we, you know, we talk a lot about customer obsession in, in, in the company and it's really, I like, I know a lot of people don't believe me or they think, <laughs> they think this is not true, but I really, I really promise that it's, it's, we talk about it all the time. Like we, you know, we have these set of leadership principles that are laid out and uh, we interview around them. Our interview questions are designed to probe the behaviors for the leadership principles. We talk about them every day in within the company. Um, and so they're, they're not, they're really not just for show. And I, I, I know it's really hard to perhaps understand that if you're not in the company, but um, it's, it, it is really important. Uh, and, you know, customer obsession is a great leadership principle um, that we that we talk a lot about because you know we're if, if you if you can center your entire company to be thinking and innovating always in terms of the customers um, that is such a great long term strategy, right? Because customers are always delightfully not satisfied with whatever you have, right? It just it's so hard to gain a customer's trust, and it's it's so easy to lose it. And so actually, if you center all your efforts around trying to delight customers like that, and you're always trying to innovate on their behalf, it's, it's so much more fun, uh, right? Because otherwise, if you're, you know, if you're worried or thinking about your competitors and what other people are doing, like, it just means you end up being reactive. And it's just, it's really not as innovative and fun. And so, you know, you have to be able to like, and, and but in order for that to happen, you're, you're right, Eve, like, you need to make sure that people practice the culture and it's not just something that's stuck up on a wall. And so how do you do that? Um, the first way to do it, obviously, as, as a leader is you have to role model. Um, like you, like I cannot tell my team to, to, you know, behave in certain ways if I'm not doing that myself and if I'm not being accountable and, and role modeling. And um, I can give you a recent example of something, actually. Um, you know, we, we often talk a lot of, uh, at Amazon about like a, a leadership principle called being right a lot. Uh, and you hear that at first and you're like, what, what does that mean being right a lot? So it's a bit counterintuitive in its definition because we basically, you know, it's all about making sure that leaders, um, you know, business is highly ambiguous and you don't always have the right data points to tell you what to do. And so you want to make sure that you've got leaders who have good judgment and instincts and leaders who are willing to get things right. Right, not necessarily um, kind of be inherently right just because they think that, you know, just because they go with their first gut, right? And so that leadership principle is a lot about making sure that if you have 
a hunch, if you have something in your gut telling you to do this, that you're actively working to disconfirm that, right? So you're actively going, actually, you know, I think this is the answer, but let me stress test this a number of ways. And let me go and find people who maybe are not going to think like this. And let me see what they think. And let me revise that opinion again and again and again, right? I, I may think that I'm going to do this for a certain amount of time. And then I may realize that actually I need a different approach. And so you need to be able to have that self-awareness to say, you know, I thought this was the answer, but I'm wrong. And so I want to pivot quick. And that's about getting it right, right? Not just being right for the sake of being right. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I was in a situation recently with, um, you know, uh, uh, with with my team members where we were brainstorming some ideas. I, I blurted out an idea and um, one of, uh, you know, one of the people in my team really liked the idea, went on and, and tried to make a campaign out of that idea. They really built it out and they spent a lot of time building it out. And it was about to go live. And then we got an email from someone from another department who had heard about the idea and had some concerns. And uh, basically, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, of, oh, you know, this person has this opinion that's different to how we're thinking about it. And so I had to stop and say, hold up, I want to I want to listen to this person, let's get into a room and let's let's hear about what this person has to say and why they think like this. And so, you know, I had to sit down and hear about why my idea <laughs> was actually not great and or it wasn't being executed in a way that I had intended. And I had, you know, I had to have the humility to say, you know what, you're right. I didn't think of it like that in front of, you know, in front of my teammate. I'm going to say it's a schooling moment for a team leader. Not everyone would be okay or like be able to put their ego aside for that, which is maybe where a lot of problems stem from. Exactly. So you need to be able to do that as a leader, right? And so I had to say, I, I have had to apologize to, you know, my direct to say, I'm really sorry that you worked on this idea for so long, but this person is right. I didn't think of it like that. And I know it was my idea, but we need to, we need to pull the plug. And you know what? It's a great learning. Let's think about how we make sure that for these kinds of campaigns, we have this sort of input earlier on. And so, and, and so not only did I have to do that and take accountability, but I made it a point to talk about it openly with all of the rest of the team the next week. Like, you know, I had to say, hey, guys, I like, you know, I had an experience that I wanted to talk to you all about. And I just, you know, for them to be able to see me as, you know, as the leader saying, I don't always get things right. But when I when I find out that I'm wrong, I quickly own it. And I try to pivot and learn like that's a really important behavior to be able to role model. I think that transparency is something to note there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Transparency. If if you are open, honest, and transparent, and you're doing things with the good intentions, like there is no need for for there to be any any fear or office politics, right? It's um so that's that's something that I really try to really in, reinforce constantly within the team. So like role model, role model, role model, role model. Um, the, you know the the second uh, you know big piece of of making sure that people people are practicing the culture well is giving giving feedback in real time right <laughs> um so you know a, a lot of um you know i've been i've been in different types of settings where um you know feedback is given at certain times uh a year maybe once a year um i don't i don't think that's very helpful <laughs> like you need to be really regular with the feedback that you give people and and you have to understand that it comes from a good place and it's because you want people to grow and to and to be better you know, there is that very well-known quote, feedback is a gift. It is a gift. You have to keep giving it. Um, and so be, making sure that you're able to have those open conversations to say, you know, hey, here's some feedback and uh, let's think about how we can help you. So, so you get better at this and you continue, you know, you continue growing. And um, the last point is around, you know, you, 
in order for a culture to be disseminated, you need to make sure that you're taking the time to teach it to everyone and that everyone feels like a teacher, right? Um, so you need to carve the time out to do those regular <laughs> culture days and culture sessions. Like I spend a lot, like once, once a month, you know, we, I dedicate a whole afternoon to just like finding a topic in our culture and just talking about it and talking about like instances where we've done it well and haven't done it well. And, uh, and so, you know, if I keep doing that, then all of a sudden I've got many more teachers within the the, you know, the company who can go on and, uh, and make sure that everybody is, you know, c- culture is everyone owns culture in a company. It's not just down to one person, everybody owns it. Um, and so you have to make sure that you teach everyone. Does the same go for it adapting as well, Carlo, if, if uh, you know, over time, people may wish to contribute to it and to enhance it and whatnot? How do you sort of facilitate that when a culture is something that's so established often? Yeah, so we, you know, we've, we've, um, we've updated our, our leadership principles and our cultures quite consistently and regularly throughout the years. So um, you're, you're absolutely right, Theo, like, we only, um, we, the way we think about our culture, is like this is our culture dot 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 until we know better yeah <laughs> right and so that kind of it keeps that humility of like yeah, we don't know everything yet and and there will be lots of surprises that come and there have been lots of changes and and things that we've we've done revising our culture so it's an it's an ever um it's 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 an always evolving process mm, i can imagine as well with obviously dealing in culture and entertainment with the kind of business that you are I mean, when that changes all the time, you sort of have to reflect what your priorities are internally um, to like keep matching those customer expectations. Absolutely. We, um, you know, I, I, I said it maybe earlier in this interview, but we, we talk a lot about it always being day one at Amazon. Like it, it's something we say too much, <laughs> uh, but it's good. And basically, and you know, it's a reminder of we're not done. There's so much work to be done that like customers are hungry for more innovation. So we always talk about, you know, how do we, how do we stay in day one and how do we avoid day two? Um, day two to us is, is, you know, um, stasis and, and slow moving and clunky. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes where, where, where companies end up, you know, after, after lots and, and, and lots of time trying to, you know, build processes and, Establish ways of working sometimes that can that can slow you down um, and and you know we talk a lot about you know so some of those companies are set up really well for making really high quality decisions but very slowly and that's not you know as we know the world is changing at a thousand miles an hour and so you you need to keep making sure that your team is not falling into day two and you need to make sure that you know we're still operating super quickly like you know we we want to always have the spirit of a startup we want to be able to move quickly shake things up we may think again that uh you know our our objectives are this and we may turn out to be wrong and so we need to be able to pivot very quickly so you know really making sure that you have that day one vitality and that speed and that you know eliminating red tape and eliminating process for process sake like that is really really important in order to to future proof yourself mm. how easy is that to do carlo to remove those bits of red tape as well you know considering such a massive company i mean any advice you give to any other company you know i know everyone's listening with a pen in their hand at the minute <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> that's what i'll say um but you have to keep you have to keep assessing it right because it creeps up on you like typically what will happen is, you know, you'll start up in a small team and everybody's doing a little bit of everything. And it's a little bit, it's a lot of chaos. And then some things 
people make mistakes and some things go wrong. And so you, tr- you try to safeguard and, and build a process and try to implement steps in order to, to solve for that. Um, and and s- sometimes before you know it, like the process becomes the thing and the process starts to own you without even realizing. And so, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the, there are instances where People may have delivered something and it's the wrong thing. They've delivered the wrong thing to the customer and they'll turn around and say, well, I followed the process. Uh, that's that's not great. <laughs> that's not like, you know, that's an instance of the process owning you. And and really like processes are there to to help you, right? Like if, you, if used well, processes are great because they should help simplify things. They should make you quicker. They should make you better. If they're slowing you down, you need to break it and you need to rebuild it. <laughs> and so we talk a lot about breaking and rebuilding and breaking and rebuilding. Um, you know, we have processes in my team at, at the moment that I think are serving us okay, but we're growing so quickly, frankly, that they're starting to break. And so we're going to need to break them and re, you know, recreate new ones as we grow. And then we're going to have to keep making sure, like, are these processes still serving us or not? So I, you, you need to have regular audits and, and mechanisms to make sure that you're always stress testing the ways of working around the team and, and trying to find opportunities to simplify. Yeah. It's, it's a never ending process and it's easier said than done. <laughs> I mean, we've, so we've spoken a bit about the qualities you look for in a new hire. But there's, I think it's a saying, I think I read it somewhere on LinkedIn earlier. I don't know if it's an actual saying. But it's one good person leaving won't kill a company, but hiring one bad person can. I mean, with that in mind, what are your deal breakers when hiring? So, look, I think I think my my general tips, uh, my general tips, uh, particularly if you're if you're trying to you know if you're trying to apply for a role at, at Amazon or a, a team like mine at Amazon, like make sure that you 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 read the leadership principles that I've I've talked about a lot, you know, in this call you know, customer obsession, or write a lot, like, are you know, like, read them and really think, like, have an honest conversation with yourself. Like, does that resonate with me? Like, does that, is that actually, is that really me and, and who I am? Um, so really ask yourself that question, because like, when I'm, when I'm interviewing someone, like, I, I want to make sure that people are coming in and, and presenting a really authentic version of themselves. Um, so, so, so I'm, I'm always looking for that authenticity when people, when people come in and, um, and trying to understand if they really, if they've really understood and and digested the leadership principles. And so, you know, one example, so one example of a leadership principle that I think uh, that I've seen, you know, anecdotally, uh, a few people interpret wrongly, I think is the one that I mentioned to you around leaders being right a lot. Right. Like I gave you that example where, you know, I said, like, I made a mistake. I had to own up to it. And I, I, I had some learnings to make and, and we talked about it. Um, I find that that's one that m- makes people uncomfortable because how I tend to assess that question is I'll ask us, I'll ask people like, tell me about the biggest mistake you ever made. <laughs> right. And uh, do they try and sugarcoat it and like pass it off and tell you a story that's like kind of a mistake, but then they emerge as a hero? <laughs> exactly. I think, I think they think it's a, it's a trick question and it's not, I'm genuinely looking for you to open up to me and tell me about the biggest mistake you've ever made. And if you, if you tell me that, you know, oh, I forgot to email someone on this day or, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a really big 
mistake that was probably your best teacher, right? Like it was probably the reason why one of the accomplishments you wrote up in your resume uh, that, that you highlighted so proudly, like there's probably that big failure behind that, but you don't want to talk to me about it. Um, so that's something that I, you know, I, I, I really look for uh, with, with everybody coming into my team. Like, are you, especially in social, right? Like where things are always changing, like, are you able to adapt and own up to mistakes and learn and be humble and, and you know, really pivot um, when things change? So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's something I, I try to look for. I think that learning from your mistakes point is such a key point, especially in social, like you said, in what is a relatively new space where nothing's really precedent, is it? But still, it's finding things out all the time. So I guess you can't learn this game unless you make mistakes. And it's something I, I see even more as well. Absolutely. And a final question for you, Carlo, given more people are working home and whatnot, and, and teams are getting bigger. I mean, in terms of trust, you know, this is a sort of loop in full circles is something you were saying at the start, giving people the space and empowering them how do more brands do you think relinquish a bit of control and, and give a bit more trust to their social team well how do you define trust theo <laughs> <laughs> like i'm interested like how do like yeah like what is trust to you so so for me i, I think we because we give this advice a, a bit more to say you know give a bit more control and and creative control especially when it comes to working with creators and influencers and the people who i guess your social team really really know your brand you know being able to like you said let go some of those processes and not tell them what to do just like yeah do it. yeah so the, the way i think about trust so there's a um a researcher who, who i really look up to and and admire called Brene brown i don't know if any of you have ever heard about her but uh she's got amazing ted talks and books and she talks a lot about the power of vulnerability and its role in in earning trust and she talks a lot about trust as well as its own thing and um she describes trust in such a great way. She says trust is like a marble jar um, where, you know, you you get you gain trust by doing small things every day that that reassure people that you're trustworthy. And so when you do those things consistently and reliably over a long period of time, you get you basically get a marble. <laughs> she describes it as you get one marble in the jar for every little time you do that. And so eventually you want your marble jar to be full. And so I think of it like that, like I, every day, what are the little things that you're doing with all of your partners to, to put a marble in that jar to make sure that they really trust you? So you cannot just gain trust overnight. Like it's something that takes a lot of time, but when you put the time in and the effort, it reaps so many rewards because then you're, you know, you're right. Even Theo, you know, once people trust you, you don't, you don't have as much back and forth and you can move quicker. And, and people, you know, people trust that you know what you're doing or, or they trust that even if you, if you go ahead and you don't know what you're, and it turns out you don't know what you're doing, that you're going to be accountable for it. And you're going to say, you know what, I did it this way, but it, it actually didn't work. Uh, but here's what I'm going to do next time to make it better. Right. So if, if you're, as long as you're building up that kind of um, relationship and dynamic over time, I think I think you can get there. That's very sound advice and probably an excellent place to end it. Carlo, thank you so much. I mean, throughout this podcast, we've obviously learned a hell of a lot of things in, in terms of building a team, but also in terms of getting into these teams and some of the skills provided that you need for social now uh, to break in and, and knowing that they're not that stringent and not that rigid as you think and that there is a lot of, uh, you know, that importance of storytelling is in there has been very fascinating. So thank you very much. 
much. A lot of it will probably apply to like not social media teams as well because it is so applicable to everyone. So yeah, really interesting. Thanks so much for talking to us. Cool. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. <laughs>